This podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute investment advice, and references to specific securities or other investment options mentioned herein are not an offer to buy or sell that specific investment. Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode. Bill Gates recently said the development of AI is as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor, the personal computer, the internet, and the mobile phone. These are strong words. Morningstar has invested heavily in generative AI with Morningstar Mo taking the stage at the Morningstar Investment Conference in Chicago and more recently, Future Proof. A lot has already been said about the potential of AI, but how are people actually engaging with it? And how should investors think about their AI exposure in the context of a portfolio? Hello, and welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a podcast from Morningstar's Wealth Group, where we turn complicated financial developments into actionable ideas. I'm Nick Vanderski, Head of Strategy and Execution for Morningstar Wealth. And in a first today, I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest, Mo, the Morningstar AI character. We'll also be joined by Adley Bowden, Head of Morningstar's Individual Investor Business, and Grady Burkett, Portfolio Manager of the Morningstar Hair Strategy. Together, we'll turn AI speculation into real-world application. If you'd like to know more about how we support advisors, we welcome you to email us at simple at morningstar.com or me directly at nicholas.vanderski at morningstar.com. Now, let's get started. Adley, Grady, Mo, welcome to Simple But Not Easy. Uh, Thanks so much. Of course. So we're here today talking about AI, artificial intelligence. And I want to start with just a simple definition for listeners who may not be as familiar with the term or the technology. And since we have Mo here with us today, why not start with him? Mo, how do you define artificial intelligence? AI, or artificial intelligence, is a technology that allows computers to think and learn like humans. It helps them understand and solve problems, make decisions, and even recognize images and speech. It's like having a smart assistant that can do tasks and answer questions, just like you. Grady, I'd be interested in your perspective on Mo's definition. Did he get it right? I think it's close enough for what we're discussing. I, I, I would probably debate that the learning is at a human level. I think that'd be a little bit more advanced than where, where AI technology is now. Fair enough. So Mo, as mentioned, is our AI persona or character, and we make Mo available through a variety of Morningstar products, including Morningstar Investor, which is a platform for individual investors. And um, I want to bring in Adley. So, you know, Adley, before we talk about the individual investor business at Morningstar, it'd be interesting just to get a bit of um, intro from you, talk about your career history, how you came to Morningstar. It's, it's a little bit unique. And so maybe you just share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. You know, I'm one of the, yeah, I've, I've found there's a mighty crew of us at Morningstar that came via acquisition. And, you know, my personal story is um, I started at a company called PitchBook, which Morningstar is now acquired, more or less straight out of college. And PitchBook's a company focused on private markets research. So venture capital, private equity, private debt, you know, and then we track the full life cycles, everything from the original investment through the holding period and then through the sale and the returns that that generates back to the LPs. It was much smaller when I started. Now, you know, private equity venture capital is on the, the front pages of, of the Wall Street Journal and whatnot pretty regularly. But during my tenure there, you know, started collecting data, digging through financial filings, and eventually started our newsletter and our editorial function. 
uh, the research that PitchBook produces, uh, which we can actually produce research on AI. So I'll be interested to touch on that in a little bit and a number of other roles for those 13 years. But then, you know, after Morningstar acquired PitchBook, I got to know a lot of people across Morningstar and began to use more of Morningstar's tools, including Morningstar.com. And it was kind of perennially frustrated with what I felt the state of those tools were. I think PitchBook was sort of modern and cutting edge, and that wasn't the case with uh, .com. And I voiced that to the executive who was sort of running those areas of Morningstar, and eventually the opportunity opened up, and he suggested that, you know, maybe I should put, you know, my feet where my mouth were and come over and join the the Morningstar team focused on .com and the individual business. So that uh, happened about two, two and a half years ago. So have been focused on that area of Morningstar since then. Great, thanks for sharing that background, Adley. Um, you know, just talking about the individual business for a minute, you know, that is a business line that resides within Morningstar Wealth. Can you maybe talk a little bit about kind of what that business is comprised of and why the connection to Morningstar Wealth more broadly? Yeah, certainly. So the individual business within Morningstar is a collection of a couple different properties, the biggest one being Morningstar.com itself, really focused on directly selling Morningstar's data, research, and some tools to individuals. Most of Morningstar is actually you know, serving individuals, but via advisors or via third-party platforms like a Schwab or something like that. Uh, we're the group that works directly with individuals. So we've got various, like I said, properties and products, .com and editorial team there, but also our subscription product called Morningstar Investor, which, uh, you know, in addition to getting our data and our research, you can monitor your portfolio, you can screen using our data and our research to find investments and evaluate them and, you know, try to sort of maintain the asset allocation that you're looking for and hopefully grow your wealth over time. We have another set of products called newsletters, fund investor, stock investor, dividend investor, ETF investor, to help individuals build portfolios or follow some of the portfolios that actually the Morningstar investment management team maintains. Tortoise and the hare dividend might resonate with some of the listeners. So there's a version of that and sort of a model portfolio and curated research that you know individuals can directly purchase. Alongside that, Morningstar.com is just a big kind of media site property for us, both in the U.S. and then we've got 27 different country-specific versions as well that we maintain. And the connection point within wealth, I think, well, you know, one, there's the investment management connection, but wealth is really close to serving, I think, the end investor as well as the advisors. And, you know, that's where we fit in and, and intersect in a lot of different ways with the content, with the data, with the research, and that focus really on the end investor. Great. Thanks, Ali. So I, I want to bring it back to Mo, because after all, this podcast is about artificial intelligence. And, you know, I guess, why did you think it was a good idea to launch Mo, the Morningstar AI character within Morningstar Investor? And kind of what were you expecting to get out of that? Yeah, well, it's been a, Mo was a whirlwind. Uh, you know, it first appeared, I think, in like late March, early April, in some like back rooms of Morningstar. And then a couple weeks later, it was suddenly at the Morningstar Investor Conference on the keynote stage with Kunal, our CEO. And then, you know, a week or two later, it was like, let's get that into the products. And like, I was involved early on, and I felt that there was a lot of 
capabilities that Mo would bring to the individual experience in its way that it can help individuals easier with like less challenges and friction find the information that they're looking for. And so that was really the premise of why to bring Mo to Investor and it, it's come to other products. But, you know, what we're trying to do with the idea of like how can generative AI laid on top of all of our data and all of our research help empower investors to be more successful. So Mo's been out there for a few months now. Um, if you had to observe how investors are interacting with Mo, what are you seeing? Yeah, we're seeing all all behaviors. Uh, I think, you know, my guess is a lot of the audience has played around with various AI tools and ChatGPT, and now it's in, you know, Google Bard and Bing and all these different places. Um, I think we've seen just a lot of experimentation. People trying to see what it can do well and and what it can't do well. There's there's these you know many breakpoints and different things where we see sort of the repeat people who've adopted it and have actually kind of begun to use it as part of their, you know, investing workflows is sort of a high powered search. And instead of them having to dig through and go to a quote page and find a piece of information, they're able just to kind of pull up Mo and ask it a very direct question. How many stars is the Apple stock, you know, today and get an answer back very quickly and easily. So it can, you know, make the research process more efficient. It's also really good at explaining various financial definitions and topics that I think it's underused. You see some usage of that, but it's an area that hopefully we can get more people using it because it does, like its description of AI, a pretty good job of just breaking down a lot of topics and a lot of, you know, a lot of data point labels. If you want to try to understand what they are, it'll give you that explanation. So we see a lot of that type of activity. I'm looking at an analysis of, I think, 55,000 questions that were answered Mo over a period of time, and they broke it down by who, what, where, when, why, what, like what the first word was. Uh, and it's pretty interesting that about half of those queries started with what. What is, you know, the star rating? What have been the inflows or the outflows or what are the costs of? So most people are using it in that research standpoint. Not so many whys. It was only about a thousand questions had why is something. So they're not expecting, again, the human intelligence to like answer deeper questions about why something is the way it should be, but more around the like, what is something? And, you know, it is an efficient way to get that. Those are uh, pretty fascinating insights, Adley. Uh, I'm sure you're collecting a lot of information and data in terms of how your users are interacting with Mo. Uh, any interesting stats that you can share with us? Um, you know, I think there's some there's some interesting tidbits that if you look at people's feedback is, you know, they don't fully trust AI yet. A lot of the feedback is around wanting to get transparency into where the information came from. Uh, and I, I don't know if that, you know, is, is just the way Mo presents information isn't super trustworthy, but I think it's AI in general. People still don't quite trust it. And if you're going to make an investment decision, you should probably do your due diligence to go beyond what Mo tells you. And in fact, there's like three levels of like acknowledging that before you can use Mo. But there's a lot of people wanting to just dig deeper and verify what's coming. And then, you know, like I said, it's it's just people are trying to use it in that workflow research kind of modes, you know, compare this, this versus that, how many 
stars, what's the medalist rating, all that type of stuff is, is primarily how people are, are using it. That's fascinating. Uh, so just from a, a, a practical accessibility perspective, if advisors are listening and they want to access uh, Mo and kind of interact with, with him, what's, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Yeah, there's, um, there's a few different routes. The, for advisors, it's available via you know, a Morningstar product called Direct Compass. It used to be called Research Portal, but it's essentially a research hub that I think all direct users, AWS, some AWS users, other Morningstar products as well. So I'd recommend you know, reaching out to your rep or just clicking around and seeing if you see uh, Mo anywhere. You know, for any individuals listening to this, it's also in Morningstar Investor. It is customer-facing only right now. There is no freely accessible version. Part of that is compliance. Part of that is also there's some interesting limitations to Mo. It's not yet necessarily a conversation bot. It's sort of more a question and answer bot. So there's work to be done yet to you know continue to evolve it, which there's a whole team at, at Morningstar focused on that and continuing to try to build it out and figure out how it can layer into more of our experiences. That's great. So, so we, we heard from Mo at the very outset of the conversation. I want to get back to Mo in just a second, but before we do, um, I'd, I'd be curious, Adley, like when you take a step back and look at artificial intelligence, do you see this as another passing fad or do you believe there could potentially be some stickiness longer term? Um, well, I think most of these start as passing fads. And then in that, you sort of find the spots where it actually is going to stick. That um, makes sense. And back in my pitch book days, one of the things we started was emerging tech research. And we built a whole team of experts in different sort of emerging tech areas. AI was one of them, as well as mobility, you know, AR, VR, things like that. And all have gone through their various sort of like Cambrian explosions and then the fad. But then you're like, oh, actually, you know what? That was really useful over here and over there. And I think that's going to be the case with, you know, generative AI, which is really what we're kind of talking about, where, you know, some of the applications in, like, various research workflows, learning, I think will be interesting uh, in schools now and, and what it as a tool that people can use will be. So I think that's where it will stick. I don't think it's this, you know, world-changing technology yet, for many reasons, but I think it's definitely going to be a new tool in everybody's tool belt for creating various pieces of content or learning various things or trying to understand stuff. But, you know, this has evolved so fast, like who knows how quickly this really could become something bigger. So we've talked a lot about how Morningstar is using AI and Mo, and we heard from him briefly at the outset of the podcast I think our listeners would like some additional engagement with Mo. So let's go back to him for a few more questions. First, Mo, I'd like to know what you think about the hype around AI. Is it exaggerated or just the beginning? AI has shown great potential in various fields, but it is still in its early stages. While AI can perform tasks like image recognition and language processing, it lacks the ability to truly understand and think like humans. The hype around AI may be exaggerated, but it is just the beginning of a technology that will continue to evolve and impact our lives. Okay, so Grady, I think Mo is coming around and now agreeing with your earlier point around AI's inability to truly think like a human. My next question for Mo has to do with the future of financial advice. 
Mo, I'd be interested to know if you think AI will replace financial advisors. While AI has the potential to enhance and automate certain aspects of financial advisory services, it is unlikely to completely replace human financial advisors. AI can provide data-driven insights, but human advisors offer personalized guidance, emotional support, and the ability to adapt to complex situations. Job losses may occur in some areas, but new roles and opportunities are also likely to emerge. Got it. Thanks, Mo. So let's try to use AI to help with one of those practice-level opportunities. Mo, can you help me write a 100-word email to a distressed client who's worried about market volatility and wants to move her portfolio to 100% cash? Hi, I hope this email finds you well. I understand that recent market volatility has caused some concern for you. It's natural to feel uneasy during times like these, but it's important to remember that market fluctuations are a normal part of investing. While it may be tempting to go to cash during volatile times, it's important to consider the long-term implications of such a decision. Timing the market consistently is extremely difficult, and it's easy to miss out on potential gains when trying to avoid short-term losses. Instead, I recommend focusing on your long-term investment goals and maintaining a diversified portfolio that aligns with your risk tolerance. This approach can help you weather market volatility and potentially benefit from market recoveries. If you have any further questions or concerns, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm here to support you and provide guidance. Best regards. Pretty impressive, Mo. I can definitely see how a use case like that could potentially be a time saver for advisors. Okay, last question for you, Mo. Do portfolio managers have the ability to understand which AI-focused companies will outperform their peers? Portfolio managers can use their expertise and research to identify AI companies with strong growth potential. However, accurately predicting which specific AI companies will outperform is challenging due to the rapidly evolving nature of the industry and the inherent uncertainties associated with investing in emerging technologies. Great. Thanks, Mo. And that's probably a really good segue to bring Grady back into the conversation so we can start to discuss how he's thinking about investing in AI companies. And, um, you know, Grady, maybe to, to start off, can you share a little bit about your background and role specifically and also share a little bit about the portfolio that you manage, Morningstar Hair? Yeah, sure. I'm Grady Burkett, and I've been in the investment industry for nearly 20 years. Um, I think most relevant to this conversation is I spent seven years covering technology companies as an equity analyst at Morningstar, and that was actually from 2007 to 2014, so two pretty big tech trends at the time. One, obviously, mobile with the iPhone subsuming other mobile phones in the market, and then um, the other is cloud computing, which happened more slowly. So one of those trends happened fairly quickly with the iPhones and Android, and then the other is an ongoing trend. And then what I do now is um, I went to a, a, an investment management firm called Diamond Hill Capital Management, where I was a portfolio manager and again, a technology analyst from 2014 until 2022. I rejoined Morningstar specifically to manage the hair portfolio, um, which is what I'm doing now. And I did that in late 2022. And I started managing the portfolio at the beginning of this year. And um, the hair portfolio is a it's a focused portfolio. It holds 27 higher quality businesses with what we expect to be above average long-term earnings growth. And so many of the companies in, in hair have 
big cloud businesses and are investing heavily, have invested heavily in artificial intelligence related technologies for quite some time and are investing heavily in generative AI specifically now. And some of those larger holdings in the hair include Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Meta. And so I'm following this space, you know, pretty closely and, um, and looking to see what a variety of companies are doing with this. Great. Thanks, Grady. And, and we'll come back to the hair portfolio in, in just a minute, but maybe to, to start things off as it relates to AI, can you maybe share a little bit of perspective from kind of where you sit as a portfolio manager and how you're assessing and thinking about the AI landscape? Yeah, I think that there, there are a lot of different ways to look at it. And one of it, I think that um, Adley mentioned, which which I agree with is sort of rates of adoption and how this technology would be adopted and used by various companies and what it sort of means. And, you know, when I think about different technologies and, and um, Clayton Christensen used the term disruptive technologies versus enabling technologies. And so far, largely what I'm seeing, I would characterize, you know, these newer AI applications is sort of enabling. But as far as for investors and sort of the landscape, I mean, one way to think about this is you can bracket businesses into five different sort of categories. The first is sort of the semiconductor and hardware companies that make the chips and the various components that allow machine learning algorithms to happen at scale. And companies like NVIDIA, AMD, Taiwan Semi. Um, so th those are examples of these types of businesses. Um, the next is sort of infrastructure companies, companies that deliver software and hardware systems. Um, and this is, I'm thinking Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, they have large cloud businesses and they're gonna provide AI services to business customers and individuals who care to use those services on their clouds. Um, then there's a whole swarm of newer companies and PitchBook would follow these very closely, but they're starting to bubble up in the public sphere as well. And um, these are the companies that are building software applications based on uh, newer AI technologies, gener foundational models, generative AI, things like that. There are also new chip design companies and, and companies that are providing uh, very specific consulting services um, to help organizations build AI applications and, and workflows. Uh, fourth, um, you can think of the traditional software vendors and consultants, so like a salesforce.com is embedding AI tools into its various software, or an Accenture uh, announced earlier this year, it's investing an additional $3 billion to help provide AI services to their clients um, and are on a big hiring spree around AI uh, skills. And then finally, just really, you can look at any public company and, and, and go to their website and read through their transcripts and listen to their management teams and how they're talking about AI. And I think that most of the larger public companies, if not all of them, are or at least experiment with AI. So those are some different ways to look at, you know, the various types of companies involved in AI. Yeah, that's really helpful, Grady. Appreciate that perspective. You know, from where we sit at Morningstar, there's obviously, there seems to be a heightened interest. Some might call it a craze amongst investors around AI. You know, just a couple of headlines that I, I've seen recently, you know, of the S&P 500 companies, uh, one-fifth of them mentioned AI in their latest earning calls, which is more than double from just a year ago. And then ChatGPT, which we all know, has uh, reached 1 million users faster than any other online application, outpacing even Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, I, I didn't know this, but it took two and a half months for Instagram to get a million users and only five days for ChatGPT. You know, I guess the question for you, Grady, you know, do you see 
investors reacting to this? Is the interest overhyped? Kind of what's the reaction that you're seeing? A couple of things. You know, I think that um, there are certain areas and certain pockets where you've got overvaluation. I actually don't think that overall and broadly we, we've seen this doesn't feel like a hype or or some sort of, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like sort of euphoria to me at this point broadly. I mean, there are some pockets and there are some specific companies that I would say are overvalued. But I think going back to the chat GPT application and getting back to how we're talking about it as sort of a, a productivity tool or, or more of a business tool, I think one thing about ChatGPT that I find interesting, it was also very entertaining, frankly. It was something completely new, sort of delightful to see a machine respond in a way that feels very human-like. And so I think that was just a very, very new thing for people to experience. And then, of course, we saw these image generators that were also just amazing. And actually, there's a company that, that's held in the hair, and I will talk about this later, called Adobe, that makes an application called Firefly that people can experiment now. They can go to Adobe, go to Firefly, you can get a free trial, and you basically say, make me whatever image you want to see, and it'll make it, and then you ask for a change. So you want it to be night, it makes the pictures in, in nighttime. You, you say, okay, make it in the morning. It changes the picture in the morning. So these are just sort of interesting little things that people can experiment. So I do understand why uh, the adoption happens so quickly or the early adoption happens so quickly. Yes, I think that's fair. There's definitely no denying the fascination and intrigue with the technology. You know, you mentioned NVIDIA earlier, and they're arguably one of the first names that comes to mind when identifying AI-focused companies. As of this recording, their stock price is up about 200% year-to-date, and they claim to be the world leaders in artificial intelligence computing. What's your take on NVIDIA? Yeah, I think NVIDIA is interesting because that is one where I do think there's a lot embedded into the valuation in terms of future expectations for that company's revenue. And so not obviously the company's grown incredibly fast. It's a very good business, but the expectations are that the current revenue run rate will sustain and they'll continue to be pretty strong growth. And I mean, the thing about NVIDIA is that, you know, it, it started as a graphics processor company, um, largely involved in the video game space. And what made it interesting is that these graphic processors can process information or take instructions in parallel. And so they can do certain types of tasks much more quickly than a, a general uh, processor can, like something from an x86 processor from Intel. And um, then the other thing that's interesting about NVIDIA is they created software development libraries so that you know, researchers could code or video game developers could actually program their GPUs. And uh, the combination of this sort of you know, coincided with some new algorithms coming up in the academic community around the you know 2012 time frame and up until 2017 um, where just their GPUs became the best way to do these machine learning and artificial intelligence you know algorithms and approaches and so the company is certainly just over a long period of time invested in software and hardware in a way that puts them sort of in the best position um, to continue at least in the near term to capitalize on this so totally understand why the business is so highly regarded. I do think that investors need to be a little bit thoughtful and careful about how they're modeling future revenue for the business. Because at the end of the day, it is still largely tied to graphic processors, which is a, can be a cyclical you know, business. You know, that's good perspective to have. You know, I, I'd be remiss not to ask you, especially with Adley in the room, about any private opportunities within the AI space and kind of how do you assess uh, private opportunities more generally versus the public opportunities here? Well, I'm, I'm focused on public markets, and so my interest in private markets are looking for potential competitors to the public companies that, that are held in hair. 
I would say, and I, I'd be interested in Adley's take on this too, but I would say um, investors who are investing in private companies, it's a specialized skill set. And, and I think often there's more risk involved. So for me, the private companies are something I watch just as competitors to the, to the holdings in the hair. Adley, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, there's AI is the new buzzword in VC land. It gets a lot of jokes. I think there's there's probably a lot, and you know, a lot of applications on top of this AI, and you'll be interested to see what what shakes out. I think people are a little suspicious that there's some durable businesses in there. I think a lot of times you'll hear the thing sort of thrown out there that that's that's a feature, not a business. So there's probably some of that. I think the chip makers are interesting. There's a couple of pretty well funded chip makers who pre-exist ChatGPT that we're working on sort of novel chip designs for better AI. And, you know, it's the algorithms underneath AI support. So I think those will be interesting for sure. And then there's a various, you know, non-generative AI that is still out there that people forget that some of these algorithms, you know, working at, at pretty interesting problems. I mean, look at uh, driverless tech like a lot of that is underpinned by these neural networks and these very complicated uh, calculations that are essentially AI. So I think there's some interesting things happening in places that we've all forgotten about were AI, but uh, certainly still are. Yeah, actually, I want to I want to you know sort of comment on on the feature versus product uh, comment, and I, I think that's one thing to think about is the sustainability of these new companies. You know. For introducing products and coming, you know, raising capital. So, like, if you have a consumer-facing company that largely is selling an application through the iPhone, that's it's going to be hard to build a uh, a durable business, you know, just doing that. And so, um, it's it's not that you say you can't, but it's just it's one of those things where you make a little bit of an explosion, a little bit of a noise, and then you probably sort of fade back. But um, I think the more interesting ones, as Adley mentioned, I think chip design that's a much harder. The barriers to entry are much higher to design a chip that's actually going to get designed into various systems and used by large customers. Um, but if you can do that, that can be a good business. And then sort of sitting between those two sort of ends, there are these software developers or independent software vendors that are making applications that might be used by businesses. And that's another business that can be very sticky, a little harder to break into that market as well. It's not a fast driven consumer market, um, but there can be some interesting applications. But I think a lot of these private companies are end up just going to be sort of uh, purchased by a lot of the large public companies, the ones that are interesting. Thanks, Grady. I want to come back to the hair portfolio for a minute. So you shared a couple of names uh, a few minutes ago that are contained within that model. But I guess I'd just be curious, like, can you go a little deeper on some of the stocks that we own within that portfolio that do have AI exposure, why we own them? And, and maybe if you can share some insight as well on some stocks that we don't own and, and why those aren't in the portfolio. Yeah, no, sure. Um, I, I mean, this is the first thing is, is, is obviously ChatGPT. All this got really strong attention, you know, late last year with ChatGPT. But of course, most of the portfolio holdings have been in the whole in the portfolio for a long time. And so I think it gets to the the point on we're we're owning good businesses, good quality businesses with good earnings growth uh, prospects. And so, and there's some new interesting technology around. You know, they're going to have some exposure to it, or they're going to be you know building tools that utilize this. And so, you know, AI or any given trend isn't really the necessarily the reason why a company's in the portfolio. So I just want to just generally say that. And then no, I think that's uh, fair. That's fair. Yeah. And then, um, but as far as I mean, going back to those classifications, I mean, I'll start with the pure infrastructure layer. I mean, Taiwan Semi, while they don't actually design chips or make AI specific chips, 
I mean, they are the leading um, semiconductor fabrication company. And so NVIDIA, you know, Qualcomm, AMD, any company that's building chips is going to use Taiwan Semi's fabs. And so um, that's a holding in the hair. And their, their um, CEO, CC Wei, uh, mentioned in the last earnings call that, that he thinks AI is going to drive a lot of growth. So he actually, I mean, their forecast is probably not, <laughs> it's hard to forecast, right? But they believe they're going to get 50% annualized growth in, in chips that are involved in AI workloads over the next five years. So they do expect strong growth. And obviously they have to plan for that growth. So they're actually building capacity to support that growth. And then sort of, you know, I mentioned Amazon and Harrods, Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, um, which are all three going to provide, they have different um, AI services that they're providing. They're all going to use very similar sort of what large language models or foundational models to deliver the services. And, and honestly, they're going to provide different models. And so um, the fourth company I didn't mention that's big and, and, and is involved in AI, obviously, is Meta. And even Meta, which has a foundational model, that's an open source model. I expect um, certainly Amazon and uh, Alphabet are going to run Facebook Meta's model in, in their clouds. Um, but but Meta is kind of interesting, I think, and, and I'm going to go a little bit here, so I'll, I'll cut what you need. But Meta is kind of interesting because they're sort of more, I think of them as more the entertainment side of AI right now, largely. So when they mentioned at their most recent conference that they really want everybody to have sort of one of these sort of personal chatbots. But they're thinking of it as an entertainment sort of outlet as well. So that's sort of interesting. And then I think that, that if you go beyond what everybody knows as sort of companies with some exposure to AI, you can look at even um, like the credit card companies, which are holdings in the hair. So Visa and MasterCard, this gets back to Adley's comment. They're using a sort of machine learning tools that are uh, more about classification. So here's this person with these attributes. Is this person credit worthy? And so this is artificial intelligence that's been around before generative AI took off. Um, but these companies have, you know, they invest heavily into machine learning and they're now investing heavily into generative AI. So Visa just announced that it's got a $100 million sort of VC fund specifically designed for generative AI companies. Uh, MasterCard purchased a company a few years ago called Briterian, which does uses machine learning um, and will invest in generative AI. And, and what these companies, they use it for their own services and they also provide value-added services to banks and other retailers and companies to help them with risk assessment and, and marketing and customer modeling. So, you know, I can go through others, but I think the card companies are examples of companies, hey, these are just really good businesses that are investing in this stuff. And so, uh, so Grady, if, if uh, you know, our listeners, if advisors like what they hear, they just want to learn more about the Morningstar hair portfolio and um, how they can access it and where they can access it. I guess what what's a good call to action for them? Yeah, so um, appreciate that. And, and advisors can visit Morningstar's U.S. wealth platform, and that's mp.morningstar.com. And they can find, they can download fact sheets, and they can also get get commentary on the on the portfolio there. Super. Um, and then just from a, a practical perspective, Grady, you know, as our listeners are considering potentially tapping into AI as an investment opportunity, either for their clients or for themselves, I guess, what are some of the principles that they should consider uh, as they navigate those? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would not change anything that I'm doing as a portfolio manager, as an advisor. So I buy high quality businesses with earnings growth. I wouldn't deviate from that. Um, for me, I have a certain level of diversification I'm looking for in the portfolio. So I wouldn't overweight based on the particular trend like AI. So honestly, I think, you know, we can look at different opportunities and where companies are exposed, but generally I wouldn't change an overall 
sort of investment approach or philosophy around it. I will say this, um, there are going to be companies that position themselves as AI companies that probably aren't. And I think that there are lots of ways to sort of snuff that out. But, um, but I, I would be careful about you know, companies or specific funds or whatever that, that decide to start positioning themselves as, as AI companies or AI funds, and they're really not. Um, yeah, and I, I would just stick to the first principles that serve your, you and your investors well would be my suggestion. No, that's good Good guidance for our listeners. Grady, appreciate that. Um, the, the last kind of theme I want to I touch on is just kind of overall disruption and, and particularly, you know, potential disruption that financial advisors could face as a result of generative AI. And maybe I'll start with you, Grady. I guess I know I asked a question of Mo earlier, but interested in your perspective on this. Um, how do you see AI either... Um, competing with or complementing an advisor's business? I personally think AI is a great complement to a financial advisor for a lot of reasons. Um, and one is it can be a great research assistant or great, great sort of personal assistant. And, and I've used uh, BARD and ChatGPT. I use them both just to play around with them. I've used them before. Like I'll have a call with an investment relations person from a company and I'll just ask them, hey, what are what are the relevant acquisitions in some specific business unit that the company has? And that's a starting point. And then I can actually ask them questions deeper about those each acquisition. And it's a great way to just get that foundational early research. Another thing I think that could be interesting is I could see an AI bot or AI chat assistant that knows everything, you know, all the information it needs about a financial advisor's client base and can, you know, start your morning for you kind of with like a list of things. Hey, and even it can reach out, you know, more broadly and say, hey, this client's, you know, daughter just won districts at the tennis districts and you might want to shoot them an email or give them a call. And I, so I can see lots of ways that this enables. But I think the financial advisors, you know, it's such a relationship driven business and it's so important to have a human being in those types of businesses. I, I just don't see it anywhere on the horizon for this to be disruptive to that industry. Yeah, no, that that makes good sense, Grady. You know, Adley, what what's your perspective from an individual investor point of view? Do you see any disruption here? Um, you know, sort of the foolish person is the person who says no, there's no disruption possibility, and then you watch it all change. Uh, I think there will probably be some changes. You know, on the individual side, um, you know, what is this now possible? And I think, uh, you know, robo advisors took a lot of individual money, I think, out of individuals making their own investment decisions. And, you know, I wonder how AI begins to maybe compete or evolve those to be more personalized versus such kind of formulaic that they are now. So, and then just also the ability of certain technologies to be humanized by AI, uh, I think has some interesting implications in the financial space where it's, there's a lot of jargon, there's a lot of inaccessible terms financial literacy is, you know, varies wildly. And I think AI can maybe close and solve some of those gaps to hopefully help investors sort of be empowered to invest more, invest more confidently, invest more successfully. So I think for that like DIY investor, there's some disruption ahead with with AI layered into different tools. Ultimately though, I think on the advisor side and and even if you step a little bit further back, I think it's an enabler. You know, I don't think the underlying investment vehicles are going to change uh, that people are using. People are still going to be using funds and ETFs and equity ownership and various things like that. Um, but it's more that presentation layer that, that's going to change. Great. So we have a consensus from both Grady and Adley. 
that uh, AI will be a net positive for investors and advisors. Thanks, guys. Um, all right. So b- before we wrap, one thing we always do at the Simple But Not Easy podcast is to do a 10-second takeaway. Um, and Adley, I'll start with you. If there was one thing you would like our listeners uh, to take away from today's episode on AI, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be just keep using it. Like keep experimenting. It's still early days. So the more you experiment, it's evolving rapidly. The you know the more ability to maybe be ahead of some others. Great. What about you, Grady? I'd say for the most part, strong, well-managed companies might use this to get a little bit stronger. And so just watch out for that. And there you have it. Another episode of Simple But Not Easy. As always, we thank Adley, Grady, and of course, Mo for their time and engagement. And once again, if you'd like to know more about how Morningstar can support you, please drop us a note at simple at Morningstar.com or me directly at nicholas.vanderski at Morningstar.com. Until next time, thanks again from the team at Morningstar Wealth. This podcast is produced and issued by Morningstar Investment Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. The content is intended for U.S. audiences only. Individuals featured in this podcast are employed by Morningstar Inc. and its subsidiaries. This includes, but is not limited to, Morningstar Investment Management, LLC and Morningstar Research Services, LLC. Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services are registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. No Morningstar entity, including Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services, shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar makes no representation as of the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision. Morningstar Wealth includes such products as Morningstar's U.S. Wealth Platform, Morningstar Office, Morningstar's RAA Portfolio Software Service, Morningstar Buy-All Accounts, Morningstar's Investment Data Aggregation Service, and Morningstar.com, Morningstar's individual investor site. Morningstar's investment management group consists of certain Morningstar subsidiaries that are authorized in jurisdictions in which they operate to provide investment management and advisory services. In the United States, these subsidiaries are Morningstar Investment Management, LLC, and Morningstar Investment Services, LLC.